From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. In this episode, we're going to be having a conversation with a scholar in Islamic studies and hearing some about what God is doing in the Muslim world. Our guest today is my colleague and friend, Dr. Ayman Ibrahim. Dr. Ibrahim serves as the Bill and Connie Jenkins Associate Professor of Islamic Studies at Southern Seminary. He also serves as the director for the Jenkins Center for a Christian Understanding of Islam. Dr. Ibrahim is Egyptian and grew up in Egypt in North Africa before coming to the United States to study. He has completed two doctorate degrees, and he is a leading author, scholar, and voice on a Christian understanding of Islam. On a more personal level, Dr. Ibrahim is a colleague of mine in the Billy Graham School. His office and my office are just down the hall from one another, and he is a dear friend to me and a constant source of encouragement and a blessing to the Billy Graham School and to the broader church around the world. I'm really excited for you to hear from him today. Dr. Ibrahim, welcome to the podcast. Dr. Aiken, it's wonderful to be with you. I look forward to this wonderful conversation, and I'm grateful you give me this opportunity. Maybe start by just telling us a little bit about you and your family. Where did you grow up? How did you get to the United States? I grew up in Egypt, born and raised in a Christian family. And I would say it's more like a cultural Christian. But uh, later, when I was nine and a half, I committed my life to Jesus Christ and followed him. By this, I mean I was serious about uh, following the Lord in everything uh, I do in my life, reading the Bible daily, uh, trying to seek clarity about how to reflect the image of Christ in my community. And that uh, continued with me, uh, and I was grateful to be uh, in that path. So you grew up in North Africa, and you've traveled all over the Middle East, Maybe tell us a little bit about the people, the culture. What makes that part of the world unique? I think uh, a good point to add here is that growing up in the Middle East gave me a firsthand experience with some biblical uh, material that is very unique to the area. Like if I want to tell you a specific thing about the culture where I grew up, let me just say Think about the uh, parables Jesus said to his disciples, like the persistent widow of Luke 18, or like the friend who went to his neighbor at midnight, or like the Samaritan woman sitting, talking with Jesus, and the disciples came back and said, oh, he's talking with a woman. All these stories, in my estimation, don't really make sense to a Western culture. It makes a lot of sense to someone like me who grew up in Egypt or in the Middle East in general, because it's all about friendships and relationships in our part of the world and hospitality, being so concerned about what people say about me in this uh, situation. So 
I grew up in that context and it gave me uh, opportunity to be in the heartland of uh, the cultural Christianity, which allowed me to understand the Bible in a specific way uh, and helped me as I continued my education to compare the worldview between Western understanding of things and Eastern understanding of other things, you know, so yeah. Now, Egypt is a long way from Louisville, Kentucky. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up making your way to Louisville, Kentucky and coming to teach at Southern Seminary in the Billy Graham School. When I was working on my engineering degree as a bachelor degree in Egypt, I began preaching and I was able to go to different places, different churches, Then I began working after graduating as an engineer for five years or more. And it was my job to be an engineer, but my mission and my goal and my passion to preach after I complete my eight hours a day working, you know. And this is very normal for every one of us in the Middle East. We we work all the day. And then in the evening, we go prayer meetings, preach and teach and, and do all this. At some point, I realized my need for theological education. I was a preacher in Egypt, and many doors were open to me to preach all over the Middle East and North Africa, and even some parts of Europe where there are Muslims or Arabs in general, Arab Christians or Arabic-speaking Christians. And at some point, I realized I want to get some solid foundation for my preaching. And that was the time when I came to the United States to work on my master's degree in divinity. And then I realized that there's a lot that God entrusted me with that I can contribute in American settings and among my American friends, and I began teaching seminars on Middle Eastern culture and Christian-Muslim interaction or apologetics and and so forth. And that's how I got my PhD, and the story continues, you know. That's great. Now, you are an author. Some of our colleagues have described you as a writing machine. And I know you have some books coming out. I know you have a few books coming out soon. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those books? One is coming out, I would say, shortly. By shortly, I mean next week or so. And it's on a concise guide to the Quran. I realize that many people in the West want to understand what is this book that Muslims use as their scripture. So I answer 30 questions in this book to help Westerners in general and the church people realize what is this whole thing that is called the Quran? What is its history, its features, its content, what it means for Muslims and how they are using it on a daily basis. There is another book that is also on Muhammad and his life as the major figure of Islam. And this is also coming out, Lord willing, next year. Next month, there is a book that is very specific to help anyone, English speaker, to learn Arabic. And Arabic is a very important language for the Muslim community. Some Muslims actually 
consider it the holy language of heaven. So you better get uh, some Arabic down. And finally, there is a book that is coming out also, Lord willing, next year on Christian-Muslim interaction. And by which I mean how early Christians defended the triune God, the incarnation of God in a Muslim context how they articulated the authenticity of the Bible to Muslims around them. And it's more of a historical book, but also very informative to the Western community regarding how Arabic-speaking Christians in the early centuries of Islam spoke about fundamental, foundational Christian doctrines. So that's going to be also out next year, Lord willing. That's great. You know, one of the things we see in research or demographics is we we read and we hear that Islam as a religion is growing around the world. So I'm curious, why do you believe that Islam is growing? Very good question. And I think we need to distinguish between conversion to Islam and expanding of a community as a Muslim community. So I think what many people describe when they say Islam is growing is that they say that the number of Muslims is growing. And this is actually true. Number of Muslims is growing, especially if you compare recent statistics because of the birth rate in Muslim families. And just a quick look in Europe, for example, European born or like local Europeans don't tend to get married that much these days and the birth rate is not super high among the Westerners. But uh, it is important for a Muslim family to have children and to have really uh, large families in general. It is more like a thought about the expanding of the Ummah, the community of Muhammad. So it's more like uh, growing in number, that's correct. But we need to also emphasize that growing in number does not mean conversion, because what we actually see, especially in recent peer research studies and such, we see that many Muslims are abandoning the religion of their birth, not necessarily for Christianity, but for atheism or other secularism or something. So we need to distinguish these two, growing in number by birth and the uh, conversion to Islam. What actually we can see in different locations in the world is that the conversion to Islam is in decline. That's what we can say. That's very helpful. You know, one of the things that we've seen in the last couple of decades, uh, one of the forms of Islam uh, has been a more extremist form of Islam. So we've we've heard about these kinds of things with ISIS, with Al-Qaeda, with Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab. Why do you think we are seeing these more extreme forms of Islam around the world? You are very accurate when you say forms. It's really good to speak about this because it is not fair for us to put everything militant in one particular thing and we call it Islam. Actually, it's better to speak of Islams 
with an S rather than speaking of Islam. And I think we can define different kinds of Muslims around us. The vast majority are just uh, cultural Muslims who live in our neighbor, who are really happy to get to know us and they don't really intend to do anything similar to what you see from militant Muslims you may find in the media. Now, regarding violence and militant Islam, we can trace this throughout history. There is no no doubt about that. And of course, uh, it's more uh, stemming from an understanding uh, that jihad or applying war in, in the name of Allah is found actually in, in the sources. We, we cannot deny that. However, there are certain interpretations these days that want to just put this very far in the past with no application in today's world. So to your question, why do we see a lot of militant Islam these days? Well, one way to look at it is uh, if the texts themselves are interpreted in a literal way, then you will find militant Islam. Now, there is also another aspect that I want to add here is the growing influence of Saudi Arabia as the heartland of Islam and its support of the radical ideology of Wahhabism, which is also a form of Islam or a form of interpretation of Islam that takes the uh, farthest militant extremist way of interpreting Islamic texts. That's why, for example, my country, Egypt, when I grew up, I used to hear my mother telling me about the early years of 50s and 60s in Egypt where everything was modern, was influenced by English style of dressing and French style. People spoke English and French everywhere. And even you can see this today in Lebanon, which is a little bit different case. But what happened after the 60s and 70s? Well, Saudi Arabia became influential, more influential. The uh, oil money sent further missionaries of Wahhabism, Saudi Arabian interpretation of Islam to every place in the Arab world, encouraging this militant or extremist view and interpretation of Islam. This is why we saw a lot of radical movements. However, I also need to add that part of the uh, expansion of this ideology was in response to the establishment of Israel in uh, 1948, which created a lot of historical and religious baggage that was used by the uh, Wahhabi version of Islam. So this is, in short, something about why we are seeing recently a lot of this form of Islam. However, in many places in the West, there is a lot of pushback against this from even some secular Muslims or some nominal Muslims, or I call them modernist Muslims. You know, one of the things that you do here at Southern Seminary in the Billy Graham School is you try to provide a, a Christian understanding of, of Islam. 
And so I'm curious, why, why do you believe it's important for Christians to study and to understand Islam from a Christian perspective? Oh, it's a very important question. 20% of the world population is Muslim. At least they claim to be Muslim, whether they are religious or they are nominal, cultural, or they are militant, as we discussed earlier. So there is no way for a Christian not to meet a Muslim, especially these days. Even if you are, like I was preaching once in Iowa, in a very, very remote area in Iowa. And I went to a subway to get a, a sandwich. And guess what? A Muslim guy was working there. So the point is, you see Muslims everywhere. And Christians need to be equipped how to present your Christian faith to a Muslim and how to defend your Christian worldview to a Muslim and how to understand the Muslim worldview. We understand that Muslims are not all the same, but we can also speak of a Muslim worldview. How can you understand this better? This is what we do at Southern Seminary. We teach on Islam, and on Muslims, I distinguish between the, those because Muslims are people. I love them. I interact with them. I seek to befriend them all the time. Islam is a religious ideology. I need to understand its concepts. I'm not supposed to like everything I read about any kind of ideology out there. I evaluate any ideology, which is valid. Now, for our Christian students, it's very important for them to know their faith well and to be able to defend their faith well, but also to understand texts of Islam, history of Islam, contemporary Islam, Christian Muslim apologetics. All these are courses we teach at Southern. So, yes, we at Southern take this seriously and we want every one of our Christian students to understand uh, about Islam and Muslims. We know that obviously Islam is a challenge to, to Christian mission and to the work of the gospel around the world. But I want to ask you, you have a, a pretty good understanding of the Muslim world. Are there any positive signs in terms of ways in which God is working in Muslim contexts around the world? Can you share any positive examples with us? Oh my goodness. We have lots and lots of good examples. God is working as never before in these areas in the Muslim world. Last decade, I heard the fastest growing church was Algeria. And that was fascinating. Like some statistics say that eight converts every day. This decade, I hear about the church in Iran and how it is growing as never before, and people are discipled. And I hear about Saudi Arabia as well. Oh my goodness, all these places which uh, seem to us like blocked against the gospel, it's now growing. And I have tons of stories about these places. The fact is, Christians need to be encouraged that the gospel never stops. And if 
I was not allowed as a, an Egyptian minister to fly to serve in Algeria at some point because of some restrictions, the Holy Spirit doesn't need a visa. And there is a lot of work happening in these places and we need to be very certain about the positive growth of the church worldwide, especially in places I mentioned. Some of our listeners are maybe living and serving around the world. Some of them, many of them are, are probably here in North America, and maybe they have a Muslim neighbor or coworker. So for Christians who are currently trying to share the gospel with a Muslim friend, what encouragement or wisdom can you share with them? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, you should take a course online at Southern Seminary <laughs> on this discussion because we we explore a lot of ways to interact with our Muslim neighbor. However, let me just say this. Muslims are people loved by Christ. Don't try to win debates. Focus on Jesus in everything you speak about and in everything you do. Your goal is not to win arguments. Your goal is to present the image of Jesus. Once you are able to bring the Bible to a discussion, don't do any other thing. And try to help them understand the Bible as a living word that is to be studied. You dwell in it. You interact with the living God through this Bible because if they apply what they understand about the Quran in their reading of the Bible, they are missing the point because they approach the Quran as a supernatural power to be a blessing to them. So even if they don't understand the Quran, they just recite it so that they can get a blessing or a favor from Allah. The Bible is a living word. Read the word, learn the Christ and live. Christ. That's what I would encourage our Christian friends to do with Muslims. Focus on Jesus, don't try to win arguments, and reflect the image of Christ in everything you do. This next question is a little bit more of a personal question, but it's a question I ask everyone that I interview. So Dr. Ibrahim, day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you doing what you're doing and why are you giving your life to this work? Wow. Very uh, important. I think one day in the early years of 2000, I think it was 2001, when I was praying over a mountain in France and I was seeking God, fasting, and I realized that I am being called to bring his word to many places. This was very vivid in my heart during this time of fasting and dwelling in the Word of God. And since then, I knew that I will speak His Word in many places and I will teach Christians and others about His Gospel and His Word. And that was a turning point in my life after I accepted Jesus in the 80s. Now, to answer your question, I would say my calling keeps me going every day. 
because I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. But number two, I would say my students. My students impress me, man. Their love for the gospel, their love for the church, their love for going, not the second mile, the, the 10th mile to, to show Christ in their behavior and deeds and actions and their eagerness to learn so that they can serve non-Christians more and more and properly. But I would also say number three is the local church. So it's my calling, my students and my local church, because if we are doing anything for any other purpose, we are missing the point. We are called to serve the local church. We want the local church to be alive, to be flourishing, to be going out to the world. That's what we are here for. So these three elements, calling students and local church is what keeps me going. So, and I'm grateful for that. I know you, you love Muslim people. You talked about that earlier. So what is your constant prayer for Muslim people? What is the thing that you just continue to pray over and over again as it relates to Muslims around the world? To see the light of Christ, but to see the light of the real Christ. Because they know some sort of a Christ, of a Jesus. They hear about him. And my goal as a Christian is to reflect the true Jesus Christ and to speak of the true Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that they see the light of Christ and in my interaction with them, I always ask them, have you heard of the real Jesus Christ? Last question, Dr. Ibrahim. What is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? I want them to know that Muslims are open. Don't believe that Muslims are the unknown, the mysterious kind of people who want mainly to impose their views on you and to harm you in some sense. Muslims are here around us, not only in America, everywhere, but they are open. So I encourage you, my friend who's listening now, befriend Muslims. Don't treat them as objects or projects. Befriend them. And I promise you, they will begin talking with you about religion. You don't really need to worry about that. It's coming. Tell them about Jesus and tell them about Jesus not only as a topic you want to enforce in a discussion, but as someone that is living in you. A relationship with God is something that is so unique to the Christian faith. And I'm encouraging you, Muslims are open, befriend them. Tell them about Jesus and tell them about him today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Ibrahim today. Please pray for him as he continues to teach, to train, and to write for the benefit of the church. As noted earlier in the podcast, 
He has several books coming out soon, and so be sure to order those. You can find them on Amazon or anywhere where you purchase books. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.